Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Material Matters hosted by Grant Gibson. That's me. In each podcast, we'll be meeting a maker, designer, artist or architect who is intrinsically linked to a particular material or technique, discovering how they craft, shape their lives and careers. Today I find myself in the Deptford-based studio of the extraordinary woodturner artist, vessel maker, Eleanor Lakelin. Amongst other things, Eleanor won a Wood Award in 2017 and was nominated for the prestigious Perrier Jouet Art Salon Prize in 2014. She's represented by galleries such as Sarah Myerskoff and Flo, and her work has been exhibited around the globe. Eleanor, lovely to see you. Thanks very much for doing this. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll see. I mean, we're in this extraordinary space in Deptford uh, where you make your work surrounded by kind of half-finished pots and machinery. Ken, for the listeners, can you kind of paint a picture of the working environment that you inhabit? Okay, well, it's a a studio um, on the Creekside in Deptford, as you say, in Cockpit Arts. I have in this studio, it's not very big, I have a couple of small spaces. This one has got my my lathe in it, which is obviously the the machine I do most work on, or where where all work sort of starts off, at least. There's a big bandsaw, and then um, there's a mixture of hand tools and power tool so um it ranges from um angle grinders and hand chisels and gouges to dental tools and odd silversmithing tools um that i use for um various uh various operations in wood really um i'm not particular i suppose about the the tools well, i was gonna I say how do you find if you're using a dental tool how did you stumble across that it was a very bad root canal surgery you had or something how does um, that work no it just it just works because it works i mean that's the thing it it um i'm not so concerned about the process in the sense that i have to stick to some um technical manual of how to turn or carve wood i'm just more interested in how I get there. So if a dental tool works better, then um, I'm going to use a dental tool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the reason I, um, I discovered it was simply because I was trying to excavate um, a tiny bit of bark from inside um, a burr because um, because of one of the processes I use. And uh, yeah, I just thought, oh, it is a bit like excavating material from teeth. So uh, yeah. So I have some second-hand dental tools. Very handy they are too. Can we get into your, your background? Because we're here in this very kind of urban setting of Deptford, but yeah. you, you grew up in a very different environment. Yes, totally. I grew up in a, um, in a very rural part of Mid Wales, a small village. Um, I grew up on a farm. It was, um, I think there's probably about 10 houses in the village, two chapels and a pub. It was 17 miles to school. It was very rural. And so um, I spent a lot of my childhood trying to avoid working on the farm. So Your parents were farmers? Yeah, when I was very young, they were. Then my, my father started running the, the school buses up and down the valley. And my grandfather took over the farm. So for my early life, I lived on a farm, yeah. And was making intrinsic to those early years? Well, making... I mean, fixing. If you if you live in any kind of rural community, or certainly on, on a farm, um, I mean, fixing things is is part of what you do. Well, especially if you live so far from anywhere else. But um, yeah, so I grew up sort of with my father being he was very practical. In fact, both my parents were very practical, and um, we had a big workshop. The first thing I ever remember making or creating or fix it was was my dad saying that there's a broken oak table in the dairy that the milk is being strained on and um it's got woodworm on the corners can you saw the corners off and kind of sand it and make it you know and um, how old were you when he was asking you to do this i don't know i wasn't very old i could obviously i don't know i was 10 or something Mm. i don't know 
it was a normal part, I suppose, of life um, building things to, to make them work or creating things that would, would work for, uh, yeah, repurposing things maybe. Mm. But obviously I spent a lot of my time trying to not be there, not to be um, sawing up tables and to be um, wandering around the woods or down at the river or something. Mm. So that's, um, but that is how I spent my, my childhood is collecting things really. And then, so then I'm, I'm interested, you're in the, uh, almost like the opposite environment that you live in nowadays. I mean, this is as urban as, as, as you get. Was that a conscious decision to live somewhere completely different from where you grew up? No, it was a conscious decision to do that when I was um, 18, certainly. Uh, it was a conscious decision to leave and to um, travel and to explore life outside of Mid Wales. But um, no, I mean, I, obviously I find myself here just because of circumstance, I suppose, like everybody else and a combination of, you know, family considerations and uh, yeah. And in fact, um, when I came here, I wasn't making work in wood. Um, I mean, obviously it's quite ironic that now I dream of a s- space and dream of, you know, <laughs> all the buildings that I grew up in that I used to... Um, you know, want to get away from. And now um, it would be fabulous if I had those buildings. But, but you know, it's, it's what it is. It's, you know, you just end up wherever. Because the interesting about you is, is kind of making these extraordinary vessels that you do now. This is almost like your third career, right? Because you started off as a teacher, I believe. Yes, I started off, um, I did a, a development project where I, where I lived in um, another small village in West Africa for a few years. Um, and then I, I lived in Spain and France. And then I, when I came back, I taught children who had English as their second language. So they were recently arrived often in um, Britain from another country. And I did that for quite a few years. And then eventually in 1995, I decided to um, take redundancy from the teaching job I was in. And it gave me sort of six months in which I could... Um, do something else and I was trying to do up a very broken down house and so I decided to go to Lewisham College to learn how to plaster and to a women's wood workshop to learn how to do work in wood with a a view to doing up my house. Was there a conscious decision that you were done with teaching when that was There was a conscious decision that I was I was very tired of uh, those demands. The last few years I'd taught at um, Guy's Hospital um, and a unit for um, disturbed, uh, emotionally disturbed children. And I was just tired, really, of, um, I just wanted to do something um, completely different um, and that uh, used different skills and that was just, uh, well, yeah, just more a creative in a different way. I just wanted to be alone with something, um, you know. So being alone with material was was ideal. But I just didn't want. I wanted to kind of cut down the noise. I suppose. I suppose there'd been a bit of a lot of noise, and it was emotionally it had been very demanding. And so, um, yeah, it was. Uh, so that's how it happened. It it's sort of when I started the the wood workshop, I immediately thought, well, this is perfect. This is just exactly. It just sort of fitted somehow. Um, so I quickly dropped the plastering course and um, and started on a, a sort of three-year city and guilds furniture making mm. course. Mm. Yeah. And so what kind of furniture were you making? I was always making furniture in, well, nearly always. It was nearly always in hardwood. And I and I did the um, I deliberately did an apprentices. At, um, it used to be the London College of Furniture, and then it became Guildhall University. But I, I did the I didn't do the furniture design course. I did the apprentices course. I wanted to learn how to make dovetails. I wanted to learn all the old processes. And um, 
so I made furniture that was quite um, clean and modern, but it often had, you know, uh, interesting joints or... I Is there something you could compare like your aesthetic, Japanese your furniture aesthetic joints. to? Well, um, I mean, I liked the work of people like Jim Partridge. I liked work that Noguchi had done in furniture. I mean, I liked Onagashima or, you know, just, uh, I don't know, fairly simple lines, but uh, where the material... Um, spoke you know you could uh, appreciate the material i don't know but simple simple mm. Mm. was there a sense that uh, i mean were you making a go of this as a business uh yes i worked so i worked as a furniture maker for about i don't know uh, uh how many years 15 years maybe yeah i mean i started off um i mean i started off using some other materials um, i was wrapping coffee tables in zinc for a while and I, I, you know I, I i sort of experimented with different materials but basically i it was wood that I was interested mm. in. Can we can we talk a bit before we get into what you're doing now? But what what was it particularly about wood that appealed? There was something. I mean, I immediately. I suppose I immediately remembered the things that I used to. I remember the first time that I that I had you know sawed off the corners of that table and spent hours sanding it to a and the and the smell of it and the sort of feel of it sort of. Um, I don't know, that it was such a strong material, simple and humble, but it was kind of, uh, I don't know, it was also fragile. There's lots of things I like about it. The smell of it, I find the smell of it um, really... And also the fact that it's sort of, it feels slightly like a human material, you know? It's sort of, it has the same human scale. It, It sort of lives approximately the same age as us, you know what I mean? It sort of reacts in the same way. It's a living thing. So I found all of that fascinating. When I and when I was young, I loved uh, eroded. I mean, eroded pieces of wood were were what I collected most. I just uh, I loved that feel of the feel of them in your hand, the ridges. You know what I mean? That sort of feeling of uh, elements having worked on um, on wood. I don't know. There was everything about it. I I loved it immediately. I loved planing it. I loved the feel of, you know, the 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 way tools worked on it. Yeah. And I find it endlessly fascinating still. I just think that, you know, a lifetime isn't sort of long enough to kind of discover all there is to know about wood, really. I mean, even within a species that I know really well, that I use all the time, every single tree is different. It's never the same because it's never had the same conditions. It's never had the same sort of life story. So therefore, it doesn't grow in the same way. And I think that's amazing for a material. It's a, you know, it's an amazing starting point. It may be the starting point, but, you know, already there's been a whole lifetime before you start as the Mm. maker. Mm. So you've been making furniture for 15 years. Yeah. And was there a, a a moment you can put your finger on a kind of damazine moment where you decided furniture isn't for me I'm going to do something else kind of entirely with this material. Well, <clears throat> it wasn't a moment, but there were moments. There were there was there was the practical reasons I was sharing a very large industrial workshop, furniture workshop, and I really really wanted my own workshop. I wanted to be able to shut my my door and not worry about whether I had left a 20 16 foot planks of oak down the middle of it and then I you know I obviously I had to go and machine that the next day and I wanted to be in control of my own 
studio or workshop front door, really. So there was that. But there was also, I'd been going to, um, I looked at uh, quite a lot of ceramics. Um, my partner's father was a studio potter. And so um, I'd spent a lot of time going to ceramic um, exhibitions. And um, and I think in 2008 at Collect for the first time, I really started looking at... Um, well, Jim Partridge's vessels and Mark Rykor, Liam Flynn's vessels, and just thought I wanted to do something more creative with... This is Collect the Crafts Council's yes. fair. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Right. Yes, which was at the V&A then. And so I had gone to look at ceramics, but I had, um, yeah, I came away feeling like, you know, there was a whole new arena, there was a whole new kind of... Uh, adventure really so um so I went on a very short um wood turning course to learn how to make a bowl really but it didn't it took me until 2009 before I had a chance to build a, a workshop in my garden and to buy a lathe and by that time obviously I'd completely forgotten what I learnt on the the course in 2008 so I so then I just taught myself from books so in the day I worked as a furniture maker and then in the evening um whenever I had a chance I taught myself to turn. And did you have a sense of, was there an aesthetic you were aiming for immediately or did this, this kind of, this sense of decay that, that kind of features in your work quite strongly, I think, did that grow over time? Yeah, no, that definitely grew over time. I mean, I spent the first couple of years literally trying to, trying to be able to make the form, what I felt like was the perfect form, to make a form that um, to me felt simple, elegant, but sort of, compelling you know powerful and so I just did it over and over again literally Mm. Um, I didn't really keep anything I just I just wanted to make sure I could do that I mean I I started to um, I suppose the the working with unruly pieces of wood started because I didn't really have you know I wasn't set up with any kind of supply wasn't particularly looking for anything I was just using what I had, sometimes they were offcuts from furniture. So, I mean, that just sort of happened. That the the way that I work now has definitely developed over time. It started after I had um, after I had moved here to my. So, how long ago? How long ago did you move here? So, in two thousand and eleven, there was a worshipful company of Turner's Bursary Award here, which somebody told me about. Um, I mean, it all happened by accident. Somebody saw my bowls in my shed because they were feeding my chickens and they had a they had a gallery and a window on the old Kent Road and so um, my work uh, was in the window we put all of the the forms I had made in the window and um and then somebody saw that and said do you know there's a worship for company turner cockpit arts bursary so I didn't I applied and I got it so so then I had a year's free studio space here from the end of 2011 and so that sort of gave me the chance to stop making furniture so I stopped making furniture and I thought I'll give myself a year see if I can make a go of it what what kind of timbers do you use where do you find the wood how does how do you work with it I mean, a, a, an important part of it is to choose a material that uh, has the properties to kind of fulfil an idea or to, you know, to to bring into life an idea that you've had, I suppose. So I, I use two different... I use sequoia a lot. So it's sequoia gigantium. I only use wood grown in Britain. It's important to me that I only use wood grown here. I don't have anything flown across it. 
feels like, you know, environmentally. So there is an I ecological mean, angle in the Well, there's certainly, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I th- sort of feel like you have a responsibility as a human, really, to, to not do that. I think there's enough things you can do with wood that grows here, really. So I often use sequoia um, because it's one of the woods like ash or oak that grows at a different time throughout the season. So it grows very quickly in the summer, but um, it's very soft and it grows quite slowly, but the wood's very dense in the winter. So if you sandblast, you can blast away the softer wood Mm. and then you can... You can literally sort of feel in your hand the passage of time. It's like speeding up erosion, really. It's like, um, and so by carving and uh, sandblasting, you can um, you can show the passage of time, I suppose, and the rhythm of growth. You can sort of see it in your. So I choose wood for that. Uh, I choose sequoia to make that kind of work mm. because that's what I want to give you this feeling of. Um, uh, landscape or um well yeah the rhythm of time i suppose and then in the the other kind of work i do i i use um horse chestnut burr which is a it's to do with the unnatural rhythm of growth really it's um so it grows on the sides of well the, the most recognizable burrs are uh, stick out from the side of the tree and in, in a kind of a circular sort of form although it, it doesn't always grow like that but it so I use that wood because I just find it just totally magical, this natural phenomenon that, that, that grows like this. And um, often, I mean, in the past, it's, it's usually sliced across the grain for walnut veneers or, you know, it's made into veneers for the front of Jaguar cars. Or, yeah, I just find it fascinating as a material, the way that it grows. And I, I'm quite interested you talking about finding a piece of wood to fit an idea. So, so does the idea come first, and, the, and then the, you find the timber second, or vice versa? Um, it, I think it entirely depends. I mean, now, certainly at the beginning, the very first time I discovered uh, horse chestnut burr was was literally the, the other way around, in that I was given this piece of wood, and then having worked with it, it uh, I realised that it reminded me completely of skulls and bones and that whole wonderful feeling of decay and the beauty of softening of age and and all of those things and if I bleached it because it was quite pale and so I try I bleached it to in the way that bone would be bleached by by the elements and um and I just yeah I found it I don't know I suppose I felt like it just completely transcended the material it was made out of and I loved it and so from then on um I actively look for that material. I mean, what I make out of it completely. It's, um, it's a synthesis of both, of, of, of an idea and, um, and what the material will give me, because um, often it's not possible. I may have drawn something or I may have um, have an idea for something and the wood just will not yield and it just will not do, you know, and so it, it has to be... I've now started, I draw much more in chalk, actually, on the floor to make it much less uh, prescriptive or because it doesn't work like that. You know, the, um, so when I'm turning this wood, it's a, it's a completely different process, really, turning the burr to turning um, the other series of work, the time and texture series, because with the burr, I, I just have to stop all the time. So it's almost like... Um, 
it's sort of creating it as I'm making it. It's not, it's a different thing. It has to be, I have to try and keep a fairly loose idea in my head and um, make sure I'm not stuck in a, even though obviously I, at the moment I'm making a series of work called Echoes of Amphora, which um which is very different from me because I've made in the past very organic pieces with that material, very sort of uh, rounded bottomed, sit very lightly on the earth, very um, reminiscent of, I don't know, um, something that you might find in nature, I suppose, very abstract shapes. And now I'm making quite culturally recognisable shapes, I suppose, but with this anarchic material going on in the middle and um and so I can't even I can't even even though I may start off with an idea of what I'm going to make I can't be sure that that's what will I'll Mm, finish with I have to sort of I have to just uh, work with it and as I work um yeah change and amend it and um you, you were talking earlier about uh, taking some inspiration from studio pottery. Do you still look at other disciplines to, to draw inspiration from? Yes, completely. Um, I, I, if I try and think of what, what I'm inspired by, I don't know. It's just some... It goes from William Garnett's photographs, which I've loved for years, that, that sort of... Um, going up in a Cessna plane in the 1950s and taking pictures of the landscape, you know, and um, and looking at that as some kind of abstract art or Bill Brandt, you know, so so lots of photographers or Maplethorpe, but I, but then I like, there's lots of ceramicists that are, whose work I've really loved for years, like Ken Eastman or Madeleine Adundo or, and then lots of sculptors whose work I've, I think has been, important to me from David Nash to Ursula von Riddingsvart or Beverly Pepper or uh, Louise Nevelson I mean lots of lots of people Mm. some working in wood and um, some not and I don't know how things work in terms of how influence or how inspiration works I think it's quite fascinating but I just think it's a whole lifetime of um experience isn't it really Mm. i mean if i think about wood carving somebody once came and saw my work and said oh why does it all look african and i said well i have i have no i don't you know that isn't something that had had struck me at all and and but then i think about experiences i had when i was living there and to do with um the way things sat on the earth you know um if you if you live in a culture where uh, lots of activity takes place outside. There's lots of round-bottomed uh, vessels. Or if you think about... I visited somewhere called Oshogba, which is the most amazing carving in all sorts of materials of kind of both religious and uh, artefacts, I suppose. I mean, years... And this was in 1983, I think, uh, just a long time ago. And it, I, I don't know. I, I, there's lots of things that come back to you that you, that you think were probably have somehow percolated through your life and your experience and come out in your work, but I've no idea um, how you quantify that at all. Well, I don't know. For me, that's the way it is. I mean, I haven't... I I didn't have a formal education in in what I do, so apart from training to be a furniture maker. So everything I do, I suppose, I've either... I've read about, you know, I've read a lot of things about art history or ceramics or, I don't know, I'm just interested in sculpture, but 
And can we talk about colour, Eleanor? Because obviously you, you mentioned the, the bleached uh, wood, but there's also, you do a lot of the kind of, which I'm presuming, the, the black, which I'm presuming is burnt. Uh, some of it is and some of it isn't. Uh, so um, some of it, it again, it's to do with, with knowing the properties of material, I suppose. And I suppose the fact that I worked in wood as a furniture maker for 15 years kind of gave me a head start in that, in that I knew quite a lot about wood and how it reacted and what it's what it could do. And so I try and use what is inherent in the wood. So a lot of the black pieces are um, sequoia, which is full of tannin. And so if you um, make an iron solution by boiling steel wool in vinegar, um, then it reacts with the tannin and turns that into uh, dark grey or black, depending on... Uh, and then And then you can just do... I don't know, you just play around with those ideas, like leaving it very wet, and then that, those iron particles start to rust, so you get all sorts of... Um, in some pieces I, I do called ferrous shift, uh, the piece that was at homophobic. You know, that's all to do with playing around with those whole rust, the rusting of iron. So I do, I do sometimes scorch, but I, I mean, it's a sort of... It's a fairly limited palette, I think, to kind of either earth colours or... Elemental colours, I suppose. Elemental, I like yes, that. I like yes. that. C- can we talk briefly because we're we're coming to an end of our time, really? But oh, sorry, that's my <laughs> that's the compressor. Shall <laughs> um, I try and turn that off? <laughs> okay, so um, uh, coming to the end of our time, uh, but I'm intrigued. You've been doing this for ten years now. Two thousand and eight, you saw it collect. And I'm just wondering how do you feel the market for what the kind of work that you do has changed in that time? Well, I suppose at the very beginning, I was making very different things. So when I started here in 2011, I was making quite domestic, functional work. So I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure I was very aware of the market um, in terms of sculptural forms or vessels in wood. I certainly didn't know it, you know, intimately that... I definitely feel that there's a um, a movement to accept wood more as a sort of a contemporary sculptural material, I suppose. And um, I mean, I think it has been certainly in terms of furniture, you know. But but in terms of vessels or sculptural forms, I'm not sure that it, you know, it doesn't have the the history, I suppose, that ceramic and glass have in that area. Do you see yourself as a sculptor? Um, I don't, I, I really struggle calling myself anything. I almost feel like that's for, I, I, I just make work in wood and I, it feels like a, a, a label that sort of hems you in slightly. So I try not to, I think that, I think all, a lot of interesting work happens on those boundaries between all of those things. And um, and it almost feels like it's a sort of political statement, labelling yourself in some way. And, and that um, I wish it wasn't so. I don't. I don't. I suppose it's because of uh, you know which label has more power, which market is more you know uh, is more lucrative, or which. And I, I just there's something about it that I, um, I. I mean, obviously, I accept it exists. I just wish it didn't. I. I 
I mean, I make work and it's sold, uh, uh, and um, and I, I just want to keep making the work. Um, but I, I and I and so I'm not even quite sure. I mean, I sculpt wood. It's true, but does that make me a sculptor? I don't know. I you know. I've just been in America where I'm definitely called an artist in wood or I've been in France where they call me a sculptor and I'm here, I call myself a maker. I, you know, I'm, I don't know what I... I'm, I'm, I'm different things according to where my work is, I suppose. And I just hold on to... I just want to make things that are in one way made out of a humble material, in some ways very ordinary, but also magical or you know uh, are more than the material they're made out of and the lackland that seems like a perfect place to finish thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it